Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. If you love to see animals in their natural habitats when you are traveling to other countries or around your home country, then you have to listen to this episode because we provide some important tips on how to ethically and responsibly See animals while you are traveling, and there's a lot to unpack here, and there's no perfect solution, but we get into this with my friend Melissa, who is a registered veterinary technician, and she travels to different animal sanctuaries around the world and volunteers as an animal nurse. (laughs) It's a... She's got some amazing stories. You'll hear about how she ended up in Zimbabwe for six months during the pandemic, which was only supposed to be a three-week trip and what that whole experience was like. You'll hear about following your interests and how combining that with travel can take you to some interesting, small, off-the-beaten-path places and how this worked in Melissa's life. You'll hear about one of my biggest travel thrills, which comes out in this interview. And Melissa on the fly shares her top five animal experiences around the world. And one of them is surprising. I I didn't expect it, but I thought it was very sweet as well. So you have to listen to that in the show as well. And so much more. How to see animals around the world ethically and responsibly. An important question. You know you love to see animals when you're traveling. I do as well. Let's learn how to do it the right way right now in this show. So strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, there's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Welcome, my friends, wherever you are at listening to this show. Always a pleasure to bring you all together here in the listening community. And uh, just a quick reminder, if you ever want to get in touch, Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. And I'm also on the socials at ZeroToTravel on Twitter. And I'm not Listen, it's no secret. I'm terrible with the social media. Podcasting is kind of my social media, right? That's why I ask you to get in touch because I want to have the authentic connections. Not that you can't get that on social, but 
I just, if I get on there, I just get sucked into the whole stream. Anyway, I did pop on there today to just see what was going on and saw a message from at Alexandria Marr who kicked off the whole thread. First of all, she said, I'm binging the at zero to travel podcast and my wanderlust is officially at an all time high. (laughs) Thank you very much for that because well, I had to reply, thank you. I'm binge worthy. Really? That, that makes me feel good, of course. And then she asked a question, what is the best place you've traveled and why? Which kicked off a whole thread. So we got answers like I spent a week in Tokyo, Japan and absolutely loved it. Uh, somebody else said Singapore for the sole reason that it was different than any other place I've been to. And, and there was somebody else up here as I'm scrolling up here that had a nice list. It was at Graham Gintz who said, best sunsets are Bali, Vancouver, and Hawaii. Hawaii. Best food is Southeastern Asia. Most blah place everyone desires to go, Sydney. Best small town charm, Austria and Czech Republic. Best surf for beginners, West Coast of Costa Rica. And coolest historical place, Jerusalem. So there you go. Travel. You know, everybody's got their own opinions. And that's what is fun about having these little debates too on destinations and things like that. It's all in good fun. And I love talking destinations. We talk about some uh, specific places that Melissa traveled to in this show and really off the beaten track places. And I loved that she was able to combine her passion for travel, for art and for animals all into one lifestyle that she's designed. And we do discuss the value of Following your interests to the point where if you infuse them with your travels, you can really land in some places that are unexpected or places you wouldn't normally have gone to or maybe not even have researched in the first place when she's looking for animal sanctuaries to visit around the world. They're, they're in unusual places sometimes, right? And I have visited some of these places and they're always a, a little bit away from the main things you would see in X, Y, or Z town. And sometimes they're not in any of the main towns. So it's just one example of how following your interest can take you to unique places in the world physically. So something to think about as we go into this show. And of course, I do think that seeing animals around the world, that's a thrill for all travelers, right? I remember when I first went to Costa Rica. I just I think the driving one of the driving things on the plane and even beforehand when I booked the trip is I just kept repeating in my head, "Oh man, I'm going to see monkeys in real life. I can't wait to see monkeys in real life. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to see real monkeys in real life. Oh my gosh, are they going to climb on me? What are they going to do?" <laughs> and uh got down there. It was awesome. You're on the beach and then you're right next to the jungle and you see monkeys there and they're in the wild. And it's, it's just fascinating and beautiful. And we forget sometimes that we all share this world, right? There really isn't a separation between us and the animals. I think when we're living urban lives, let's say, or you know, we go to a zoo or something like that, you don't feel that connection because they're behind a wall, behind a cage, whatever the case. But then you go somewhere where you can see these animals that you've only seen in videos or in National Geographic or wherever, and, and they're right there. And you're just thinking, wow, this is a, almost a spiritual experience in some ways when you look into their eyes or you get close to um, these, these beautiful living creatures that we share the earth with. And it's a very important part of travel. And along with that, we don't shy away here on the podcasts from talking about how we can do things more responsibly 
more ethically, more sustainably as travelers, what can we do as individuals? We can always do our part. And Melissa gives some great tips in this interview. So I do think this is an important one. Of course, we talk about all the other stuff that I mentioned previously. So a lot to pull from this interview. I know you're going to love it. Now, let's get into it. Stick around. On the other side, I'm going to share with you my biggest travel animal dream. (laughs) Stick around for that. I'll leave you with a quote and some comments on the interview. Please enjoy the interview now, and I'll see you on the other side, my friend. Yeah, what's your cat's name? Snoopy. Nice. (laughs) So counterintuitive, huh? I know. Everything about it. She's a girl cat and she has a boy dog name. Yeah, you got to love the creativity in that. (laughs) It's just like, it's like a living joke. Not that your cat's a joke, but you know what I mean. It's like, (laughs) it's kind of like, hey, just by existing, you're being, you're being witty on a daily basis. (laughs) What time is it there for you? 5 a.m. Oh, man. Thanks for getting up so early. Yeah. And then you have to wake up and the first thing you have to do is talk to me. Oh, <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I think it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you in you so too. long. Are you um, an early bird normally or is this like no. a... No. Oh, boy. Makes it even worse. <laughs> There's Snoopy. Oh. Hey. She likes to sit with her head right in front of the camera. <laughs> Since I'm recording, maybe I should give you a little introduction here and we can do a podcast. What do you say? (laughs) I think that sounds good. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I am on the line with my friend Melissa Beveridge from WoollyBearTravels.com. And that's W-O-O-L-L-Y BearTravels.com. She is a registered veterinary technician and an artist on a mission to make the world a better place for orphaned, injured, and rescued animals. So she's been traveling around, going to animal sanctuaries around the world, volunteering as an animal nurse, and writing about it and creating artwork based on these experiences, which the artwork's incredible. Uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing Melissa now for, I don't know, a few years at least, I guess, at this point. I agree gotten to hang out in person a couple times Mm -hmm. in uh, various places. So, Melissa, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) Yeah, and thanks for getting up so early because I know you're in California. We were trading messages. I think you threw out in an email just uh, this idea of, oh, hey, if you ever want me to talk about animal travel, I'd be happy to come on the show. And I know there are a lot of people listening that love animals too. I mean, anytime somebody's sort of finding a new lens through which to see their travels or their potential travels, maybe putting either like a mission around it like you have, or it could just be a a heavy interest. Like I was very into hiking for a long time. So a lot of my hiking informed a lot of my travels, right? For you, animal sanctuaries can probably take you to some pretty interesting places and, and even areas and countries that you might not normally go if you weren't following that passion. Everybody can have their own version of that, but let's just like start there because I think that's a sort of a principle that applies to 
everybody, whatever your interest, if you're if you're building your travels around something, I think it can take you to some different types of places. So how has this type of like volunteer travel and, and the mission you've created enhance your personal travel experience? Yeah, like you said, it takes you to different places that you would never think of going. I end up hearing about different sanctuaries through friends or just acquaintances or just Googling and end up in like really like strange places that I never would have thought I would even thought of going. (laughs) It's really fun for me to go to these different places just to see different animals. And, and I like seeing the ones that aren't as popular and that I like going to smaller places too, because I feel like the bigger, the bigger sanctuaries, there's a lot of good ones out there, but they have a a big platform already and they have people that know about them. And for the smaller ones, a lot of people don't know about them. And I just, I want to kind of get more exposure for them. So they, they have more eyeballs on, on them too. So people can help them in the future. So yeah, I look for the smaller out of the way places for sure. And that's always ended up really well so far. Isn't that a good general travel rule? right? Look at the smaller out of the way places. I mean, really though, if you keep seeing something and you know it's big, then maybe you dig a little deeper, right? Like you said, maybe asking friends or going a little deeper with your research. Give me an example of a place that you ended up in, you know, what you just described. You're like, wow, I never thought I'd end up here. Oh yeah. Well, just recently I was a year ago, actually, almost to the day I left here to go to Zimbabwe. And never, ever even thought about Zimbabwe before, really. I mean, I'd heard about a sanctuary from a friend, and I had applied there and to do a volunteer program. And I ended up scheduling a three-week trip, and it was supposed to be one week after that in South Africa to go to an artist residency. I always like to combine artist places with um, animal travel, since those are my two passions. So, yeah, so I went there. It was supposed to be for three weeks and then COVID hit and I ended up staying there for six months. I loved it. (laughs) It was amazing. It was a great place to get stuck. (laughs) But yeah, I didn't expect that to happen in my life, you know, living in Zimbabwe for six months. I think you're the first person I've talked to that got stuck somewhere for months. Yeah. Right? Some people were... They chose to stay in a place, I guess, or... or... Yeah, I I think I could have tried harder to come home, but I didn't really want to necessarily because I heard that, like, coming home, I would just be in my apartment, you know, in my little house the whole time and not doing anything. And I figured I could stay there and help the animals rather than sitting in my apartment at home. Plus, I couldn't get out the same way I came in. My flight was through South Africa, and they closed that border immediately. And I couldn't get to South Africa, so I would have had to fly out of a different um, place that was six hours north, which is what I ended up doing six months later. Um, Wow. So, yeah. Six months in Zimbabwe. Yeah. (laughs) It was so cool. How did that that change you? Oh, gosh. It changed so many things. I just got to see the world in a whole different way. Um, I learned that there's really not a lot of, you know, black and white in the world, it's kind of gray area, a lot of it. Like you have ideas about what's right and wrong, and then you go to a different country and live in a different culture, and you see there's so many different reasons why things happen that I might not agree with or I might not like. But I, you know, I just, I learned a lot about resilience and the people there. Um, 
they're just amazing. They always had this saying, um, I'll make a plan. And I just, I love that so much because their government is, is very corrupt and they always say that their government wants them dead. And I have to agree from what I experienced there. And they would take away things from the people all the time. And it was just every day there was another big obstacle and they would say, okay, I'll make a plan. And they come up with some ingenious thing and make it work. And I really, really am trying to keep that, you know, keep that in mind for my, my life and myself here. Um, because it's just, it's so different. Like here, you know, people are kind of, they'll complain when they don't get their way or they're, you know, there's a lot of feeling sorry for ourselves and, you know, just not handling change well. And, and there they just, it's not, it feels sorry for themselves. It's not, it's just, okay, moving forward. How am I going to do it? And then they do it. And then something else gets taken away and then they figure it out again the next day. So it's, it's a really big, you know, thing to try to keep in mind (laughs) and, and to learn from. I guess it makes sense to think if you are forced to change every day, then that becomes a normal habit. Maybe Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's really inspiring. It's really inspired me to like find different ways to make things work. And I catch, I'm not good at it. I'm trying, (laughs) I'm trying, but I catch myself like getting irritated about something. I'm like, you know, this is nothing. Make a plan, figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe that's the thing that, yeah. that you learn, right? Is, is oh, catching sure. yourself, catching yourself. Yeah. It's, it's, that's half the challenge, right? That's it half is. the battle. You have to notice it first. Yeah. That's tricky. <laughs> it is. The heat of the moment is something and then you have to figure something out and catch yourself and redirect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not easy when you have emotions involved. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> What were some of the things they were taking away from people? Are you talking about electricity and things like that or? Yeah, they, water was one of them. They didn't have a lot of water and a lot of the infrastructure was broken. So they would get water, um, municipal water once a week, usually in the middle of the night and had to like keep all they wanted for a week. Um, The money situation was very weird. U.S. dollars were illegal, but that's what everybody wanted. And so they had their, they made their own mon, like monetary system that wasn't really backed by anything. So they called it monopoly money. It wasn't really worth anything. Um, they could only have Zimbabwe bank accounts and then the government would take taxes out of their accounts, which were quite hefty at times whenever they needed more money. Um, they would, going along with the money thing, they, the people developed a, an app called EcoCash where they could buy. You'd have to you'd have to go to a different part of town, find somebody, give them money, and then they would upload credit onto your account. It was crazy the the lengths you had to go to to get money there. Um, well, wait, the as you as a traveler, what did you do? Money is a pretty oh, important. Yeah. It's need important. For travelers. <laughs> yeah, that's a story in itself. I had to. Um, I had to PayPal money to a UK bank account and then it would get filtered through a gold mine in Zimbabwe and then somebody would deliver us US dollars cash from the gold mine. So it was like Really? Yeah, it was insane. There's no ATMs, there's no yeah, you you just had to figure it out. 
Did you know all this going in or were oh, you? No. I knew that there were no ATMs. So <laughs> oh, I took God, a little no. bit of money. <laughs> yeah. But right. you know, I was planning on three weeks. I wasn't planning on six months. So yeah. So then yeah. you had to figure all that out as well. They helped me. Yeah. They, I was staying with, I stayed in two different sanctuaries in that time that I was there and they helped me figure out everything. Like they were all very well connected and everyone had a plan for everything and everybody knew a guy like getting my passport taken care of was another ordeal because it was only good for 30 days. <laughs> and, like, and that was tricky too. It was, um, so just there, I just want to say it's really difficult to do anything legally there. You, you really have a hard time doing anything in a legal way. So I'm just doing it the way that everyone else did it. So I had to, um, find a guy who somebody trusted and, and let me know about him and, Gave, so I came in on a, on a tourist passport. They wanted volunteers to come in on a tourist, no, on a business visa. So that only lasts 30 days and then you can't renew that. So first I had to get it transferred into a tourist visa. And we started that right as the lockdown was happening, filled out all this paperwork, and then they shut down all the passport offices. So there was nothing really to be done. Um, so then we were getting a little nervous. Like the last thing I wanted was to go to jail in Zimbabwe, you know? So I was like, I need to, you know, figure this out. And so we ended up giving, um, giving our guys some money and he took, there's three of us volunteers that stayed for the lockdown. Um, one girl's actually still there. She's from Australia. Um, but so we ended up giving them, giving him money. He took our passports. He had them for a couple of weeks, which is a little nerve wracking. He took them somewhere, got us, got the stamp all figured out for us and all that. And then he brought it back and then, and it, you know, it expired 30 days later. And then we're, he was just like, oh, just don't worry about it for a while. It should be fine. And then right before I left, I contacted him again just to make sure I was like, do I need anything before I leave the country? And he's like, oh yeah, you do. So he came to get it again and then, um, took it to uh, the other side of the country to do whatever he does. And then he brought it back. He ended up having to get it to me through his friend who was a police officer. And the police officer met my friend in the middle of nowhere to give, to give her our three passports that all had a sticker in them. Now that said it was allowed for us to stay in the country until our passports were expired. <laughs> so I don't even know if that was a real sticker. I don't know, but it was, it worked. I wouldn't, when I ended up leaving, they didn't even look twice at it. So, This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. 
This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why We're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Is this the the most sort of off the beaten path type of place you've been? Not not too much tourist infrastructure? Yeah, I would say so. Kind of makes regular traveling pretty easy after experiences yeah. like that, right? Like, yeah. oh, I'm just going to give you this passport and get a stamp and I can go to the ATM and get money. All yeah. all fairly straightforward things to do. Yeah. It was all a bunch <laughs> of tricky, tricky situations for sure. Yeah. yeah. But on the day to day, were you, did you feel uncomfortable or outside of your comfort zone? Was it that kind of stress or was it just sort of regular life and you deal with these things as they come? Yeah, I felt really safe overall. Um, I felt really taken care of by all the people I was with and the people there are really friendly, um, really nice. So I didn't ever feel like I needed to worry about much. Um, I was careful about certain things and everybody had um, panic alarms in their house, which was a little odd and that in its own scared me a little bit. <laughs> you know, I was like, why is this happening? Because um, I guess there are a lot of break-ins during certain times and when people are having a hard time and people were starving because the, the lockdown, the lockdown there for COVID was a military lockdown. And so there were just, you know, army was out and they, they wouldn't let people go to the grocery store even unless you had a letter from the police and that was hard to get. And, and so people were, you know, starving and they were looking for food and they were hurting. And so I was just a little more mindful of that to be a little bit more careful. This isn't your run of the mill travel issue right you're talking about food and water yeah yeah Yeah. and clothes and like they had not they shut everything down so you couldn't get anything talk about getting out of your comfort zone yeah (laughs) yeah for six months yeah wow it was something and i think back to when we met up in denver yeah yeah I don't know if that was the birth of, of this next version of your travels or, or what, but you seem to be sort of, I, I think there was, a, there's a lot of uh, inspiration in your story because there was a lot of hesitation I felt on your part to kind of pursue this thing wholeheartedly, which you have now at this point. Well, let's talk about, it. I mean, where were you? You know, we met up, I should say we met up in Denver at one of our location indie community meetups and we had an event there and yeah, we just started hanging out and talking and 
kind of got into it, I guess, during the event. And what, yeah, where were you at that time? I just want you to share your story, basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah. If that's okay. Of course. Um, yeah. So I was working full time in an animal hospital. Um, and I wasn't really happy there um, doing that at that time. And I wanted to make a change. I had thought for like eight years at that time, I think, about traveling to different animal sanctuaries and doing some kind of artwork based on that. But I hadn't really figured out how to, you know, be able to afford to do that. And I was scared to leave my job and my insurance and, you know, the doing the things that people are supposed to do. I thought I should continue to do them. Yeah. So I, I had been thinking about making a change and I wasn't sure what to do. And I found the location indie community and I had been listening to podcasts and listening to zero to travel too. It was one of my favorites at the time that was helping inspire me to do things. And, um, yeah, so I'd been kind of looking at this and I had signed up for this, um, the location indie event in Denver and I was really excited about it. And yeah, excited about all the people I'd meet. And then I, I was driving home from work one day and I got into a really bad car accident. A semi truck had hit me on the highway. And I remember everything from that accident. And I remember spinning around and like bumping into things. And the one main thought I had was I didn't get to do my animal travel. And I was really regretful of that. And then I actually hit the semi after that. And when I came to and I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't dead. I was like, okay, I think I need to like make a change. Like I kind of feel like I'm living on borrowed time now. That was just such a weird experience to have. Like, um, yeah. So I, I ended up still being able to go to Denver. I had a head injury, so I had to get that cleared with my doctor and everything before I went. And, um, it was like two, a month or two, maybe two months after that. And I was very lucky that I didn't have more injuries. It was just insane what happened. So then I ended up going to Denver and meeting everybody there. I ended up organizing an Airbnb for a lot of us. And that was fun because we got to stay in this one big house together. And I had never met any of any of the other people there. And it ended up really fun. So yeah, I met you guys. I was so excited to meet you guys in person, you and Travis, because I was like, listen to your podcast forever. And I was like, super excited. And then... um one of you, I, I don't remember, I think it was Travis, came up to me in the morning of like the second day and we're like, okay, we're putting you on the hot seat. And I was like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, like I'd applied to do it, but I didn't hear anything. So I was like, oh, I'm sure they didn't pick me. And then he's like, yeah, we don't like to tell people too far in advance so they don't get nervous. So how many people were there? Like 30 people or something? Yeah, maybe about 30 people. Yeah. So I was in like the front of the room of 30 people who had been like super, you know, successful traveling and all this and that. And, and I remember you in particular were so nice and like, just made me feel so comfortable up there. And you had me write a bunch of stuff up, you know, on the board and talking about my goals and what I wanted to do. And, and I remember look and like telling people about like, my job, I have um, a job that I can do online from anywhere. Is besides my um, vet tech job at the time, I still have that job. Um, and I remember everybody just staring at me and being like, why aren't you just doing it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, maybe I should just do it. And then you guys made me pick a date. And I chose, I think, January 8th or something like that. And um, 
I actually left like January 10th or something that yeah. following year to follow, to follow the new dream or the old dream that Amazing. had resurfaced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, thanks for all the kind words. I wasn't fishing for compliments or anything, but I was trying to get to this, this part of the story. Yeah. I just remember two things about it and I'll just share my experience with with you and and everything that w- was going on. Also, I couldn't believe that. Wow, this accident just happened. And you were you're like, you're such a kind, sweet soul, and you're smiley. You got a good attitude, and just thinking like, what really? Like you were just in this crazy. You're just kind of not that you downplayed it, but it was just like, wow, holy crap, this just happened. This is insane. Like this is a a crazy thing in your life. And what a what a wake up call. Yeah, sometimes I think we just it helps to hear things from other people too, outside of ourselves to say, Hey, you know, force that question. Why aren't, why aren't you doing this? I just, I I feel like I saw in your eyes, like a little light bulb kind of go off at that moment. Cause it was, I remember the moment really. And it was just this whole, you sort of giving yourself permission to do it. It seemed like the moment that it went from, idea to reality, even though you weren't traveling a year until a year later, you could see it. The commitment was there on a real level. And also, I remember Jason, who was also another Jason, not me, who was attending the event. And you were talking about your artwork and and, and the art, and, and you showed us some of the artwork. And I think I heard Jason from across the room, like, just <laughs> kind of giving it to you, like, dude, you're an artist. You are an artist. And I, I wanted to talk about that because it's a tricky thing, right? Because on some level, you don't want to box yourself in and say, I'm, I'm this or that. But on, on the other hand, there's something that happens when you embrace a certain identity, I guess, or piece of an identity, or whatever you want to call it, to just proclaim hey, I'm an artist and I, I do this thing. It, it's empowering, I feel. Uh, I, I wanted to hear about your experience embracing yourself as an artist. Had you at that time? Was I reading it wrong? Or did that whole journey kind of happen at the same time as this sort of travel stuff? Well, yeah. I In the, in the past, I had been um, working as a scientific illustrator. So I, I didn't consider myself an artist in the same way. It was more of um, I would you know, do really technical drawings of, of things for, you know, museums or magazines. But they were so cool. Yeah. <laughs> they <Yeah>. were art. <laughs> I mean, I like that kind of art, obviously, because, you know, I spend my time doing it. But um, yeah, but I didn't think of myself as like a more like loose kind of fun sort of artist, you know, because um, I like to make things perfect. And I still do. But I, I, I think it's in a more fun way now. Um, and not as, you know, absolutely perfect. Although I do like things to be perfect <laughs> with artwork. So yeah, it was kind of starting a whole new kind of, of journey as an artist because I, I considered myself an illustrator before, not an artist. I, I don't, I know that's kind of a weird distinction, but it was more of like, I'm doing what other people tell me to do before. And now I'm doing what I want to do in terms of what I want to paint. So yeah, it was, it was definitely like, I had to learn how to like, paint all over again in a way and like do things my, you know, the way I want to do them rather than the way a magazine tells me they want it done, you know? So yeah, it was a whole different, whole different world in that area too. And it was actually, I think the location indie meetup was in October. So it was actually three months later that I started traveling. You've been able to combine three of your passions with travel, animals, and art. Yes. 
And that is now your business essentially, (laughs) right? I mean, well, tell me, is that sort of a side business for you? Are you able to do this full time? What is going on with the business side of things? Which, by the way, your website's looking great. Oh, you got to check out WoollyBearTravels.com and just go to the art gallery because you feel the personality of these individual animals in, right. in each piece. You really do. It's just unique and colorful. I can't really describe it. You have to go check it out for yourself. But just beautiful stuff. Uh, so I'm a fan anyway. Oh, I just thanks, to say Jason. That. <laughs> what was my original question again? <laughs> I was just going on a rant about your artwork. Oh, just combining your passions and how your business is going. Oh, yeah. yeah business. Around um, yes. Yeah. So it's still, you know, a side hustle. It's not, I'm not making my living at it yet. Um, but like I, I mentioned earlier, I do have a job. I work for the um, American Museum of Natural History in New York City, and I do um, I put together um, bulletins for when scientists make new discoveries or reclassify species. They'll send me all their research, and I put it into InDesign and do um, formatting and all that so they can print a book. So I can do that from anywhere. So that's my main source of income right now. So like when I was in Zimbabwe, I, I worked from there. All I needed was an internet connection to like upload files and download, you know, back. And so that I was able to work from anywhere. So that is mainly how I support myself. Um, And then the artwork that I sell is also, you know, another form of income. And then when I'm here, when I'm at home, I work for work as a vet tech here and there. Um, when I came back from Africa this time, I decided not to go back to that original clinic because I was still able to go back and work there when I was in town. But then I decided when I came back this time, I wanted to work, kind of make a transition into shelter medicine. So that's a little bit different. So I got a job at a humane society and I end up doing spay neuter campaigns there. Um, or I work in their spay neuter clinic. So because I want to be able to bring that knowledge when I go with me to other places too, to be able to help with spay neuter in an efficient way. So yeah, I have like a hodgepodge of jobs and interests and passions and and put them all together and make it work, make a plan. Yeah. And it's all coalesced to support your mission. Really? Yeah. I feel when you think back prior to the accident, that life you sort of talked about where you thought about these things, but you weren't really doing it. And then the sort of the after where you're actively pursuing the goals and and actively pursuing your mission. How does it feel in terms of uh, just your daily life to kind of have, have that foundation of, of the mission and and the work that you're doing around that? Mm, It feels, it makes me want to wake up in the morning and and I get excited every day about... Even at 5 a.m.? Yeah, actually. (laughs) Because I want to tell people about all these animals and places and and yeah, I just, I feel like I'm always discovering like new places right now, since I'm kind of, you know, travels hard. I'm just looking, I'm focusing on all the animal sanctuaries around me here in California. There are a lot. Um, and so, yeah, I get really excited. I hear about new things all the time. I talk to somebody in Africa every day. I have new opportunities every day. It seems like I'm always like finding something new, reaching out to someone else. I just joined this little like chat on Instagram. That's a bunch of traveling vet techs. And that's been really interesting to hear about where people are and, you know, what they're doing. And we're all sharing resources now. And it's just, 
yeah, it's just really fun. I think I found a couple of people that want to go to the last place I was at. So that will be good for that place, you know, to have more help. And so it's like, I'm always trying to like, yeah, I don't know, like integrate all these things and help whoever I can and, you know, let people know about interesting places. And yeah, it's, it's exciting. It makes my life a lot more purposeful. Yeah, that's wonderful. I, also, when you put yourself into a certain sphere and it's it's based on a mission or things that you love or these combination of things that you're talking about i just find it does it does reveal different things that you wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise right you have to sort of be on the path to find the other paths right if you never get on the path in the first place then it's there but you're not on it so you won't see them <laughs> So I I do think it's so important to just get on the path, right? Whatever that means, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean wild success or there's no guarantee of what it means, but being on the path means you're on the path first of all, and that feels good for yourself, I feel. And secondly, it also gives you an opportunity to be exposed to other opportunities and and people and things that you wouldn't have been otherwise. Yeah, and you don't have to know where the path is going because it's gonna it's gonna change. <laughs> it's not gonna be what you planned. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that not getting on the path before was uh, was there was that one of the reasons out of sort of fear of not knowing where it would go? Yeah, I just I didn't even know people that were doing things like this. I just just seemed yeah. outlandish. Yeah, it seems like kind of. Why would I do that? Or something you know? irresponsible. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Maybe there's some people resonating with that. Yeah, I mean, I've never been the most responsible person, probably to be honest. But it was like, it's like, oh, that's really kind of you know, doing something bad or wrong or not doing what everyone else is doing or you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's a real thing. It's subjective too, right? To an extent. I mean, you could, some things I feel like are clear examples of being irresponsible, right? But other things, is it irresponsible to not have a full-time job? Is it? According to some people, it is. (laughs) (laughs) According to me, no. (laughs) No. There are a lot of ways to make a living. I think you've you've really proven that. It's one of the things that I it gets me so excited. Well, I was excited to talk to you and just catch up and also just to share this with people because you really can if you're if you're somebody that's of the mind of hey, I just really want to be around the things I love all the time. And some people are the opposite. They're like, "You know what? I love this thing and I don't want any work-related things to be associated with it. I just want to kind of do this as a separate thing and you don't have to turn all your hobbies into a business or anything like that. But if you have these passions in life and you're the type of person that loves the idea of just being in that and creating a mission around it and things like that, I think this is, you're a prime example and good uh, inspiration for somebody who's been able to do that. So anyway, I'm just giving you some props here. I wanted to share that with people. Thank you. Let's talk about animal travel. That's one of the reasons you're here because we need some tips. And I know not everybody is 
going to maybe the extent that you are in terms of volunteering at the sanctuaries and things like that. But I do feel like most travelers are doing something animal related at some point, right? Either it's on your bucket list. Maybe you want to go to a safari in Africa or, you know, you're in Thailand and you want to see the elephants and the animals are part of our world. They're a beautiful part of our world. And how exciting is it when you get to see an animal that you've never seen before in real life? That's one of my biggest travel thrills it never ceases to amaze me how giddy I get when <laughs> I get to see an, an animal that I've only seen online or in a picture yeah. or something. Oh my gosh, I'm swimming next to a sea turtle. It's a real sea turtle. This is <laughs> freaking amazing. You know, it's just oh, a yeah. rush. Uh, so, you know, I think this is a, a conversation for everybody. And I just want to get your tips on, I, I don't even know where to start. Is it, is it with ethical and, and the moral stuff around it? You tell me kind of where to start with this discussion. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Yeah, I do a lot of research into a place before I visit because, yeah, there's a lot of unethical places out there that are not treating their animals well and just trying to make money. So usually I'll do a lot of research. I'll look into it. I'll look at the reviews. I'll see what people say about that because you can find a lot of information there. Um, and then if you just Google a place, like things usually pop up if they are, um, problematic, there are some Facebook groups too, that you can check. Um, I don't remember the name of the Africa one offhand, but it has a whole list of African, um, animal type places and tells you if they're okay or not, if they treat their animals well, if they're an actual sanctuary or if they're making, you know, money off of the work of animals. Yeah, people are traveling to different places. I would just kind of do some research, see if it's a good place, an ethical place. And then um, you you can just go and visit for the day. If you're in a country and you're like, oh, you know, I want to, you know, like the place 
the first place I went went to was called Free to Be Wild Sanctuary in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, and they had like baboons, a bunch of baboons. I'd never met a baboon before, you know. (laughs) And you got to go on bushwalks with them, and they'd end up jumping on your shoulders and riding on your head, you know, the whole way out into the bush, and then. You know, then they go play for a while in the trees and they come back. They have a handler that's really just loves them like nothing I've ever seen. And he, they, they love him. They trust him. He's like part of the, you know, the troop and and he makes sure everyone's okay. So people would come in and do experiences sometimes, but they weren't like, you don't force an animal to do anything. Um, if people want to go on a walk and a baboon chooses to jump on you, then that's, you know, then you can, that happens, but nobody's going to make the baboon do anything, you know? So it's like, they like, you know, they like interaction with people. They like, you know, playing, they like attention. They don't like to be told no, actually. (laughs) They know the word no, and they don't like that. But yeah, so that place had a lot of baboons, monkeys. They had um, a warthog, um, a vulture, a bunch of owls, mongoose, um, a bunch of different kinds of animals, stuff that I'd never seen before, like you were saying. So I was just super excited to meet all these animals. Um, the second place I was at was a donkey sanctuary because you know how much I like donkeys. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up um, transferring to a donkey sanctuary halfway through my time there because we'd rescued three donkeys. Um, that were in a very bad shape and I just fell in love with them and I, we had to transfer them somewhere else. And I, I, w- I just wanted to go with them cause I was in love with them. So. <laughs> so I remember you, uh, you introduced us to a website that I would have never heard of yes. otherwise <laughs> where there's live feeds of donkeys somewhere, uh-huh. which I don't even remember where it was. This was. Myth sanctuary in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You watch. You could just pick and they have donkeys. Yeah. <laughs> See how they're doing. Yeah. Why should people spend the extra time researching? You know, give us your your well, pitch for that. You don't want to, like, you're going to pay money to go to these places that you don't want to just be, like, giving money to somebody who's using it for profit only and they're not helping their animals with that money. Like, if, you, if you're going to give money to a place, you want it to go to a place where the animals are actually going to get medical care and, you know, really good food and really good, you know, housing and everything else, because that's, that's ideally, I believe what people want to be supporting when they go to a place like that. They want to know that they're helping those animals being taken care of. They're not just putting money in some person's pocket and the animals are being abused. Yeah. This is one of the things that it's funny that I'm bringing this up. Don't talk about pop culture a ton here, but the tiger King, right? Yeah. I was watching the tiger King in Africa. (laughs) so weird because <laughs> so many people have seen it and i think one of the th- the side effects of that was this awakening of or, or at least just a realization i suppose of the fact that there are a lot of characters out there who are running these types of properties or i don't know what do you would call them zoos or whatever that may not have the animal's best interests at heart so you you, you think you see the word sanctuary. Well, just because somebody's using the word sanctuary doesn't mean it's a it's a it's a proper sanctuary, right? I mean, it seems very hard to 
kind of figure out what's going on behind the scenes, right? Uh, I just trying to give people a sense of maybe some other practical tips that you could. I mean, you mentioned the research, but how, you know, is there a way if you if you had to give somebody I would say most people might not go to the lengths that you would go. I think it's fair to say to to do their due diligence, right? But for the average traveler, it's just like, you know what? I want to do the right thing. I don't have hours or days to research everything, but I want to I want to just do a bit so I can at least know and feel good about where my dollars are going and I want to do it effectively and and kind of just get to the point where I understand and then I can make a decision. And this is really important because a lot of this stuff I think happens on the road too, right? If you're traveling for three months, four months, not everybody's going specifically for certain animals to places. And but you might come across an opportunity where you're like, oh, I didn't know they have this, you know, ostrich thing, a farm or whatever that you can visit or whatever. And then you're just like, okay, but should I visit? Is that the right thing to do? Maybe that's the first question. I yeah, I just I just wanted to dig into that a little bit more. Yeah, I think there is, you know, a way of thinking that's like if if you are going to be guaranteed to like hold a baby lion or something like that, that's not good. Like you really need to again, this is like the, you know, not everything's black and white. Like if you're going to be touching an animal, that sometimes isn't good. Like I That's almost like a red flag. Yeah, like if that's the draw that you get to hold something or pet something or take a selfie with something, that's not great. That's kind of exploitation of an animal and not always the animal doesn't always want to do that, but they're telling you that you get to do that. So how are they making that happen, you know? Um, But in other places, like with the baboons, it's their choice. If they want to jump on you and they want contact, that's fine, you know? (laughs) Like, Like nobody's forcing them to do anything. And then... I was doing like nursing care and helping feed them and helping feed babies and stuff like that, um, that didn't have parents that could do that for them. So there's different, different ways to look at it, but like roadside things, not good. Um, (laughs) anything that's like here, come, come take a selfie with this isn't good. Yeah. It's, it's kind of hard to just give a straight black and white. Like I went somewhere the other day and I'm still not sure if it was a good place or not. <laughs> you know, I was like, I saw it and I was like, me and my sister were like, Oh, let's stop there and see what that's about. And I still came away not knowing how I felt about it. And sometimes you don't like, I worked at zoos too before in New York city and I know they were owned by the wild, the wildlife conservation society. So they were pretty good and they were helping with breeding of endangered animals and stuff like that. But I'd see an animal pacing, and that's never good either when you see an animal pacing behind a fence. That's stress. That's not good. Um, so a lot of sometimes you don't even know until you, you pay money and you get in there to see, you know, what's going on. And you walk away and you're like, oof, that's not, you know, that wasn't a great place for that animal. Yeah, it's, it's so tricky because a real world example for me, I was in Florida visiting my dad and my stepmom, and we saw that there was this sanctuary for monkeys where they take monkeys that were abandoned or or something or, or, or they were exotic pets that were brought in by people and they didn't have you're not supposed to have a pet monkey so then whatever happened they got taken away but then they still these monkeys still need to be cared for i don't know you know the story sounds good and you feel like all right well i'm paying an admission and and I imagine that this is helping because it's going to give them food and everything like that. But then you're just kind of like, well, is this 
Is this like a for-profit zoo? Or, but but these animals do have to get taken care of. It's just really yeah, hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And you can like pick apart a lot of things if you really want to, you know, <laughs> and you can, like, and you can overlook a lot of things if you want to. So I think just, you know, really keeping your eyes open and paying attention to the animals, you know, do they, do they seem happy? Do they seem stressed out? Do they seem like they're just laying in the sun, having a great time relaxing or are they like pacing, you know, are they like trying to get out of the fenced area? Are they you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to know sometimes, but there's a lot of, you know, bigger famous people and places that aren't good, but people don't really know. It's just, you know, it's like, it's tricky. I found that the Googling usually and reading the reviews of people that have been there or written about them in articles is, is probably the most, you know, informative way I can find to see if something's good or not. Yeah. Right. I, and I like the general rules that you laid out, you know, if, if, if you get to hold something or take a selfie or whatever, you think about it from the animal's perspective, that makes a lot of sense what you said. What's, what are they doing to get them to do that? I think were the words that you use, something like that. And the roadside thing. And the, the third one I would say that seems to be coming up is just this idea of going the extra mile, so to speak, to find those sanctuaries that are off the beaten path that aren't marketing themselves so hard where it looks like, okay, they're really trying to bring the dollars and maybe they're just a more authentic travel experience too. Maybe it's just a fun challenge if you're into seeing animals. Okay, well, let's try to find an off the beaten path sanctuary that takes us to a place that we would never travel to and we'll be the only ones there maybe. You know, that that type of experience you're saying for you has led to a lot of good experiences, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it has. And and I've seen bad things too. And I, and I recognize that they're wrong and I don't participate. And, and that's hard too sometimes, you know, cause you, you know, you're like, Oh, who doesn't want to hold a koala bear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> exactly. <They're> cute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's hard. It's, it's tricky. Gosh, there's so much tricky stuff in this world, isn't there? And that's the hard thing, right? I was joking around, but sincerely, who doesn't want to hold a monkey and feed it? Who doesn't want, you know, these are, there's such an emotional draw to being able to, I don't know, just hold something like that. That's a living, beautiful, living thing, animal and getting to have that connection one-on-one in a different way. But like you're pointing out, that connection might just be one-sided, Yeah. (laughs) You have to kind of think about these things. And that's the point of this, right? I don't expect you to come on and give us all the answers. These are great general tips and there are a lot of complexities to these issues. But, you know, this part of it, I think, is just more about, again, being aware. I, I think that's the main goal where you're like, okay, like going back to what you said before, before you just fly off on your motorbike and go to X, Y, or Z place, maybe you take a second and start asking some questions and look into it a bit as a conscious yeah. trap. Yeah. And then if you do want to hold an animal, like I held so many animals where I was because I was helping, you know, take care of them with nursing and feeding and, you know, they needed food and they needed, if you really want to do that, you can. 
And I, I love that, you know, like you said, who doesn't want to hold a monkey? Like I had two monkeys in my bedroom in, in, um, in Africa because they had just come in. They didn't have a mom anymore and they needed human interaction so we could feed them milk. So they, you know, like they needed, they so needed they just certain- lived in your bedroom with you. Yeah. <laughs> with no it cages was- or anything? Or? No, they would just run around, do what they wanted. They pooped everywhere. It was disgusting, but it was really cute at the same time. They were just adorable. Would they, they sleep so in bed adorable. with you? No, they were a little scared of it. Like they had, they weren't, we didn't make them do anything. We like let them have their space. And then when they would come down to eat, we'd try to show them the, the milk bottle. And eventually weeks later, they ended up like letting us feed them bottles and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, they didn't sleep with us, but other animals did. <laughs> like what a rhinoceros? Oh, that would be interesting. <laughs> so I fell in love with this little thing called a bush baby. Do you know what that is? No, but it sounds super cute. I know. I know. It's like this tiny little like monkey primate kind of animal. It kind of looks like a loris. They have those big, huge eyes. Um, and he's really small and he was very disabled. And like I, the first time I saw him, somebody had dropped him off the day that we were packing up to leave. We went somewhere different for part of the lockdown. And um, we had all the baby animals and like seven people in this car. It was ridiculous. And, um, I looked at the, I looked, I'm like, Oh, what's in here. And I looked up the cage and I see Bush baby staring at me. And I was like, he's mine. He's where he's my soulmate. <laughs> I fell in love and I had him for what, four or five months. Even when I went to the donkey place, I took him with me to take care of him. Um, just fell. I almost sold everything here and moved to Africa to be with this Bush baby. <laughs> like, he was so cute, but he would sleep with me and he would like, run around the room at night and he learned how to climb with his front legs. His back legs didn't work. And yeah, he was, Oh, so cute. So cute. And then we had a little baby mongoose that would sleep with us sometimes and, um, all kinds of things. We had a lot of babies. We had a baby zebra. Um, I got to spoon a baby zebra. That was crazy. You never would have thought in a million years you get to spoon a four-day-old zebra. Right. Um, yeah. Who knew? <laughs> crazy. What can animals teach you? Oh, just how to be forgiving and trusting. Like you see them go through so much and then you can see them still change and become less fear- fearful and want want connection you know, and it's amazing to see that turnaround in an animal when, when it's been severely abused or neglected or disabled or, you know, just any, any kind of horrible thing that happens to it. And then you, you get the animal, it's very scared, doesn't trust anybody. And then you just see that, see, like, like I can see my love for an animal help turn it around into like a different kind of animal that, that also feels love. And that makes me really happy to do that, to see them, to see them change into like a happy animal. And yeah. And they're also very honest about how they feel. You know, people sometimes aren't. <laughs> like Animals will let you know, like I got bit by several animals when I was there and, you know, you just, they tell you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. With their teeth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, if they, they decide they'd have had enough, then they let you know. And 
you know, yeah. it's just, it's a very honest relationship. I think the best kind of relationship, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what about destinations? One that pops out to me, it's a bucket list. One is going to see, say the wildebeest migration, or I don't even remember what it's called. There's a big migration that takes place and, in Africa and imagine just seeing all those animals moving. I'd love to swim with dolphins, but only naturally. That's one of my bucket list items. I want to just be in the ocean somewhere. <laughs> and then and one then pops they up. Just, they're just there, <laughs> yeah. just swimming around me all of a sudden, hanging out. Maybe that'll happen in my life. I, I think it will. I have that. I've got that intention out there. What are some of your favorite destinations they could be places that you visited or just that you know about and maybe there are some examples of places that don't come right to the top top of mind for people let's let's do what do you say three or five can you name three or five i'm sure i can name five <laughs> your top five animal destinations oh gosh top five that's tricky well i'm gonna have to put zimbabwe in there since i spent so much time there's a park called wangi and you can see so much wildlife there. It's insane. I stayed at one place. And when you talked about the wildebeest migrations, reminded me of it. Um, all of these um, water buffalo came down in her- like 500 in a herd. And I was at this lodge and they had a watering hole there. So this huge, like you just see all this dust. And then you see all these, these buffalo come in. It was insane. And they were really close, you know, like there we were just watching them. Um, and then they all went into the watering hole together and then they all left together and there's just, just like the dust. It was crazy. And then after that, we saw lions tracking them. And um, yeah, so it was just like this crazy experience. And later in the day, we saw elephants, like with babies, like like three different herds of elephants came through with their babies. And there was, oh, it was just amazing just to watch that. So up close. And then when you drive through the park too, you can see like all kinds of things. That's, it's just crazy. I saw hippos, um, just all kinds of things. So good. The first place I went to that was a sanctuary that really inspired this whole thing was the sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica. They had hundreds of sloths there and I helped feed them. And then I actually did a work trade thing where I was drawing them, um, drawing their insides for the scientists. And that was really cool. Um, I think that place is, is still there. It's changed a little bit. Just walking around Mexico, there's so many street dogs. <laughs> you know, like that in itself isn't a sanctuary, but you can see like that was an unexpected mention. The street I dogs. Shout <laughs> out to the street dogs. Exactly. <laughs> I ended up in this one place in Mexico called Ecbalam and it was in the Yucatan, off the beaten path kind of place, and um helped with the street dogs there. And that was that was something else like it was a challenge and it was, it was entertaining and it was fun. It was sad too. Like they're, everybody's, they're not fed that well and they're, you know, they needed some help. There was that. Um, but I like feeding them like when they come to beg at your table or something, <laughs> you're like feeding them under the table and you're like, like, Oh, you guys are so cute. And they get all excited and that happy, excited look in their face. Um, Donkeys anywhere, of course. I love donkeys. Um, the UK has so many donkey sanctuaries. Um, everywhere does, actually. They're everywhere, which I'm very happy about the donkeys having special places. Um, and you got one more slot here. One more slot. Ah, Well, I'll name a place that I want to go. 
Actually, I just found it the other day. Bulgaria. I was looking in Bulgaria and I found um, an elderly, well, it's a donkey again. It's an elderly donkey sanctuary. It's like a retirement home for donkeys and they have a spay neuter clinic for dogs and cats. So that is kind of another place I want to go. Um, and I think that there's, I need to do more research to see if it's a good place or not, but there's a sanctuary there for um, ex-dancing bears. So when they've been forced to perform for years, then I think these people rescue them and take them in and let them have a bear life after that. So. Okay. So we've got Zimbabwe, <laughs> uh-huh. the Sloth Sanctuary in Costa Rica, Mexico, mm-hmm. generally <laughs> on the streets, yeah. street <laughs> donkeys in the UK, which is something I never knew until I met you, and Bulgaria, we're going to go with the dancing bears, which I think is cool. I was at a bear sanctuary in the UP in Michigan once and convinced the guy to let me go into the cage and hang out for a short bit, which was very scary and stupid. (laughs) I don't know why I wanted to do it, but there was something, I had this mission of uh, talking this guy into this and then just doing something that nobody could really do. And it was a thrill. I'd never been so close to bears before like that. And not saying it was the the smartest thing in, yeah. in the world, but it was called Schultz's Bear Farm. Huh. Let me look it up. I don't know if it's still uh, available. I had a sweet hat from there too, and then it got taken. That was another story. Anyway, whatever. We're getting <laughs> off track here. Uh, <laughs> I want to mention your website one more time so people can really check it out. It's Wooly Bear Travels. And you have, looks like you have original artwork for sale, but also greeting cards and other things. And you do 10% to something, right? Yeah. The sanctuary where the animal lives that's featured on. Oh, yeah. To uh, to Mm -hmm. where each individual animal lives uh, that you painted. Right. So cool. Anything else that you want people to know or you want to share here before we let you go? Maybe go back to bed. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah if people want to sign up for my newsletter um, there's pop-ups on my website for that but you'll get a little bit more in-depth information about the animals and the travels and stuff like that and then what's what's going on with paintings and and new projects and stuff like that and then um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Wooly Bear Travels and just started a TikTok Uh-oh. A little old goes. for that, but <laughs> it's really fun looking at all the animal stuff on there. So I'm <laughs> nice. to like join the animal video game. <laughs> nice. Well, if you don't mind maybe sending us a picture or two maybe of your artwork and then you out there in the sanctuary, say in Zimbabwe or something, I can put it up on the show notes and people can see you out there in, in one of the sanctuaries doing your thing. And uh, Melissa, it's awesome to get to chat with you. And thank you for volunteering to come on and share your expertise around this. And I, I'm just glad that we got a chance to just remind people that there are ways to be conscious around this type of stuff. Animals are a huge part of travel, I think, in many ways. And we can all just do even if we all just even do do a little bit to kind of pay attention to the places we're going and the things we're doing, then you know, yeah. every little bit counts. It goes a long way right? to help the right, yeah. the right places. Yeah. Should I get a dog? Should I get a dog? Yeah. 
dumb question. Obviously. <laughs> I worry when we when we go on an extended trip, who's yeah. going to take care of the dog? And Well, I do have a good resource for that, actually. There's a website called Trusted House Sitters. Yeah. And I think there's other different ones around the world. But that's what I do. I have somebody from there come and take care of my cat when I leave. And these last people stayed for six months. <laughs> Yeah, those people must have been stoked. They yeah. had a free place to stay for six months, huh? Yeah, because they got what they were doing got shut down too, so they didn't have their jobs. So they're like, "We'll just stay here with this cat." And yeah, you can yeah. always get a house sitter. That's true. Yep. Hmm. Food for yeah. thought. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your time, and we'll chat soon. Yes. Thank you. have it. Thank you so very much to Melissa for stopping by and sharing her wisdom, her perspectives, and her tips around ethical and responsible animal travel. It is an important topic. We do want to evolve as travelers, right? As individuals, we want to do the best job we possibly can out there in the world of being good uh, stewards for the planet, trying to minimize our impact and maximize, I guess, our positive impact in, in many ways. It just just be good travelers. Be good people. And it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy to figure out, hey, you know, was this a, is this an elephant sanctuary I should visit? It takes a little work. Like Melissa said, you got to do some research. You got to kind of dive in. It's not the easy route, but sometimes... It's uh, doing the right thing is not the easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. So things to keep in mind. You already know that. I'm not preaching to you. I'm just gently reminding all of us here that we should take the extra step when we can. Okay. Now, my biggest animal dream of all time, right now anyway, to swim with the dolphins, but I refuse to do it <laughs> where I'm going to pay and be in a pool with them or, or something where they're forced to swim with me. It has to happen naturally. I have to be out in the ocean somewhere and they just come up and they swim with me and I don't know, in my head we play together. Is there a ball involved? I don't think so. I think I think I'm just petting them and they're they're just checking me out. We're making eye contact and I'm probably crying and just uh, looking at a, some kind of brilliant sunset with pink clouds in my head anyway. So anyway, any dolphins out there listening, come swim with me sometime when I'm in the ocean. I would love that. It has to happen naturally. If it doesn't happen in this lifetime, maybe it'll happen in the next. We'll see. <laughs> but I think it'll happen. I got that feeling. I'm putting that intention out there to the dolphins. Okay. Let me reach into my little drawer here and grab a quote from Paramananda who said, Constantly we are molding our character and destiny by the thoughts we are thinking. I'll leave you with that. Think good thoughts then today, my friends. And I will do the same Thank you so much for hanging out with me and enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks for being a part of this community. Love y'all. Peace and love and I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.